Hey, it's Agrita Dandrell, and you're listening to the Mindful of Everything podcast, which calls for revolutionary healing of self and community that can allow us to outgrow cultures of scarcity and hyper-individualism and move to more caring and regenerative ways of living and working in community. Today we're joined by Laura Formentini. If you remind yourself that is its energy that is stuck, because I am no longer able to give it to the person who was there in the physical. But love comes in many forms. It's no longer there in the physical. Let's move that love to wherever it's needed. So that's love in action. It's not just about talking about love. It's putting love into action. And believe me, it moves a lot of energies. Laura is an author, non-profit photographer, an activist who has worked all over the world with NGOs and resilient people, and who has personally healed from the traumatic loss of her son's suicide, which began from a small act of kindness and human responsibility by a complete stranger, and has now evolved into the conceptualization of getting unstuck from grieving cycles as love in action. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on to Mindful of Everything. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Greta. It's, a, it's an honor. Thank you so much. It's really amazing that you're here and you've given us some time from your busy schedule, which we're totally honored for. Um, but before we begin the conversation, especially because today's episode will be getting into areas that people are quite sensitive over, I would love to do a breathing exercise with you to kind of ease ourselves into that conversation. Sure. Thank you. So if this is the only thing you're doing right now, listening to this podcast episode, you can gently close your eyes and really just allow yourself to be aware of the certain things going around you currently and within you that perhaps you don't get to be as aware of and sit with in your day-to-day life. I want you to first listen carefully to the sounds in the room right now, whether it's the cars going by outside, or maybe you can hear people that you live with, or maybe you can hear a clock ticking in the distance. And I'll slowly bring that attention to your body. And really allow yourself to focus in on a particular emotion you've been feeling quite intensely, whether it's been in the past week, past few weeks, or even the past few hours. Maybe it's been at the back of your mind, or maybe you have been constantly thinking about it, constantly feeling it. And now just try to feel how your body has been responding to that particular emotion. Do your shoulders perhaps feel a bit heavy, or maybe they're locked into an uncomfortable position? Does your heart feel restless? Or does your stomach feel uneasy? 
Now just place one of your hands either on your heart or your stomach to really just focus in on what you are feeling. And that whatever you're feeling is always, always valid. And most importantly, just appreciate this moment. This moment that is allowing you to slow down and to really get on the body level. The body itself is a powerful system connected to the different systems and the world and the universe. We're going to take five deep breaths together, but please feel free to pause this episode and to extend that if you wish. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Deep breath. In and a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Last one. Take a deep breath in. And a deep breath out. In your own time, when you feel ready, you can gently open your eyes. Thank you so much, Laura, for participating. Yeah, thank you. It was wonderful. <laughs> Great. So... Laura, you're a storyteller by profession. You're the author of the beautiful book, 21 Olive Trees, and you're also a non-profit photographer. Yes. I would love to just start the episode off today by asking you how storytelling, both in poetic and photographic form, these two mm -hmm. different forms of storytelling, how have they acted as a creative expression of grief, perhaps, for you, or maybe just a creative means to process that grief and to move forward in that healing journey? I, um, I started writing poems and letters, which magically turned into fables after my son passed away. Um, just about five or six weeks after. And I realized that it was a form of catharsis. So I had this energy buzzing inside of my body and I knew I had to release it somehow. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sit. I couldn't eat. I couldn't rest. I was just very unsettled because of all this energy that I, that I felt, that felt was stuck inside of my body with nowhere to go. 
I realized that that was the, the energy of love that was stuck inside of my body. And it was truly buzzing. I could feel myself buzzing. I just did. I couldn't sit down. I couldn't lie down. I couldn't mm. feel settled whatsoever. And so I knew I had to release it somehow. And so I started with what I knew, a meditation practice, and then journaling, which again, magically turned into writing poems and letters and fables to my son. And little by little, I was able to release this energy. It's interesting how I've discovered that grief really is the energy of love that is stuck inside of us with nowhere to go. And so I didn't know what to do with it. And so by writing, by journaling, and by creating on paper, especially, I was able to release this energy little by little, and I started feeling better. So what I understood was that grief is the energy of love that is stuck inside of us with nowhere to go. You are not able to give that love to the person who's no longer there physically. So it's important to release it from your body. And love comes in many, many, many forms. So I understood that by putting it, putting that energy on paper was a way for me to release it. And I was able to transform that energy of love that I had inside on into something that was on paper. Yeah. And so that transformed the form of love from the inner energy that had nowhere to go to the energy on paper. It was my that expression that finally came out. I realized that love does come in many forms. So since the person was no longer there in the physical, I was able to also transform that energy into more photography and put that creative power into the lens and to into capturing the beauty of nature, the beauty of that was all over me. And that was also a a form of transferring that energy that I had inside into something else that was still a form of love. Mm. So that's that's been my journey. And it's been incredible because I started with the the letters and the um the poems which magically turn into fables and creative different creative endeavors and then into a book okay and i hadn't planned on writing a book so why a book um of course many people understand that writing a book itself is a wonderful way to create catharsis to heal ourselves but also i realized that this book would be if my form of what I have come to define as loving action. So it was a book that I first created for myself, but then also as a hand to reach out to others who were facing the same grief I had faced. And so this book was really my form of love. I was able to take that loving side of my body and put it into this book and I was freed. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. As you said, love can take so many different forms. And I think grief itself can as well. 
one of those forms are maternal grief, which is something that you've experienced. And I think that adds a different layer of complexity to grief. Mm-hmm. And it requires a much more sensitive and a caring approach to healing, I, I think. Sure. So if you could share some of your thoughts on that, if if at this point in time you're comfortable to do that. And how can mothers and those supporting mothers um, who are grieving approach healing Mm -hmm. uh, with that level of sensitivity? Yes. So I'd like to take a step back to what happened to me because it's, it plays a crucial role in my healing. Yeah. So I was, um, I was in uh, Ethiopia in uh, August of 2019. And I was down there um, collecting stories from some of the locals, okay, for one of my books, when I received a call from my older son from the States, where I live for part of the year, I live in California for part of the year. Um, And he told me that my younger son, Blaze, had taken his life. And that was in August of 2019. So I'm in Ethiopia. It's obviously, I'm in shock. I drop everything that I'm doing. I realized that I have to get back immediately to the States, which is an impossible task because, you know, there's, I'm in the middle of rural Ethiopia. It seems, it's incredibly difficult to book a flight, let alone four or five flights, because there was nothing that was nonstop. So, um, so I eventually was able to put my itinerary together, but I realized also that I was by myself Yeah, going back. I will fly back by myself. And this was 42 hours. You're talking about 42 hours. So nobody in my group could come back with me. And so I'm starting to wonder how am I going to do this on my own? This is the hardest thing, the hardest situation I've found myself in ever. What am I going to do? This is a big test. So nobody can come back with me. Nobody has the money to come back with me. Nobody even has a passport. So, but still, this what happens is there's an angel here that materializes out of the blue. It's a, it's a stranger who volunteers to stay with me that day. Okay. And he says, it's a friend of the group. And um, he says, I'll be with you until your departure. And my departure doesn't happen until for another eight, I think it was eight or 10 hours. So he stays with me. And not only he stays with me, this guy's a complete stranger. Okay. Doesn't know me, nothing. He holds my hand right away and he caresses my cheek and he says, you don't have to worry. You can trust me. I am your brother and you are my sister. I'll stay with you. And I was obviously in shock and crying and it was an extreme, it was such a blur. But this man stays with me all day long. When it's time for me to depart, after 10 hours of holding my hand almost the entire time, I said to him, I had one question. I said, why did you do all of that for me? You have no idea who I am. And he said, I didn't do anything special. I'm your brother. You're my sister. It was my human responsibility. So the only reason why, the only reason why I was able to make it on those flights, and, and it turned out to be four different flights, because I flew from Addis Ababa to Dublin, Dublin, Boston, Boston, Denver, 
The only reason was I was able to make it on this flight, Sagrita, is because of this man's random act of compassion. Yeah. He stayed with me, didn't know who I was, nothing. But he did it as a sense of human responsibility. And so that really was the beginning of the dissipating of my grief. I started realizing after a couple of weeks, after I went back to the States, I said, how did my grief really shift here? Why did it shift? And he shifted pretty fast. I realized that it was it's something that came from the stranger. He instilled that love into me. He infused the love into me, that compassion, that kindness that helped me to um, help, help me with my healing right away. And so that's something that I started understanding as I started, um, I realized that that's something called loving action. Mm. So you're putting that love into action. You're moving that love from one body into another body. And it helps, it helps to move the grief because grief is love that is stuck. This man was able to move my grief thanks to his love. And so I realized that in order for me to keep moving my grief, I needed to move that grief into other forms of love. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been, you know, I kept working with nonprofits. I kept writing. I kept giving. I kept being on podcasts. I've been on shows. I've been sharing my experiencing experience. I've been helping others by, and that not only helps others because my experience helps others, but it's also helping me because I'm able to move that stuck energy. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think the way you've conceptualized that is is really helpful in understanding how the human capacity to move forward from pain, like mm-hmm. losing a loved one, is regenerative, right? Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Our capacity to do that can regenerate, yes. but it yes. can it can only do that when we are in community, when we know that we have. Yes someone whether it's a stranger who you know who sees this as a way to fulfill his human responsibility or whether it's someone that we are very close to right so yes so this when I wrote this book first I wrote it again for myself but then as a way to reach out to others who were facing the same grief so I realized that this book will be this book will be my stranger who will come outside of my world to touch another, just like the stranger in Ethiopia who touched me so deeply and helped me transform my grief. So again, if you, if you look at it, like, because I've been through a lot of loss in my life and I realized that every time, every time I go through loss, I'm, if I'm able to move that grief, that energy that I have inside and put it wherever love is needed, towards the animals, people, the planet, I'm able to get myself unstuck. So it helps me and it helps others at the same time. It's a win-win situation. So every time you are grieving, if you remind yourself that is an energy, it's energy that is stuck because I am no longer able to give it to the person who was there in the physical but love comes in many forms. It's no longer there in the physical. Let's move that love to wherever it's needed. And it's healing. So that's love in action. It's not just about 
talking about love. It's putting love into action. And believe me, it moves a lot of energies and it heals you, but it also heals the world. Yes. I really like how you mentioned that this love and action, it is, it is a process that is constantly moving, right? It's, and it takes different forms for different people. Yes. And I think that's, that's very similar to grief as well. And that's why I like to see grief as a cycle and also healing as well as a cycle, right? These cycles yes. appear in our lives at different stages. Right. And of, obviously it looks different for everyone. Right. But if we were to just map out perhaps the different stages of grief that people can better understand that grief is absolutely normal mm -hmm. and it can ha happen in cycles in different parts of your mm -hmm. life. How could we perhaps map that out for people to realize right. that they are within this cycle and it is moving, but there is hope and there is chance that they can get out of that sooner than what they expect? Yeah. According to the um, the Kubler-Ross model, there are five stages of grief. And so the first one is um, denial, then you have anger, and then you have acceptance, and then sadness, which some people unfortunately um, experience as depression. And then you have acceptance, but I have discovered that you can go beyond that. You can go to the healing phase as well. Mm -hmm. And that's that's something that I have discovered thanks to the stranger because he really gave me a huge infusion of love and that mm -hmm. helped me to heal. But I also believe that my previous work as a nonprofit photographer and I was also a fundraiser for many causes for many years had also helped me during my healing stages. Because I was used to putting that loving to action. I didn't even know that I had been practicing loving to action for many years because I, I was so used to doing it. I didn't really, I hadn't realized that I was practicing it. But, you know, during that time, you know, during all these years, I have sponsored lots of kids. I have fundraised for children's homes and animal welfare organizations. I've done a lot of these things without wanting anything back. I, I had put a lot of my money in. I yeah. have crowdfunded found, and it was, but I wasn't really thinking what it was. I was just doing it because it was, it felt right. It felt really, it was a wonderful thing. It still is. So I was used to doing it. And so I, it was easier in a way to get back to it right away. And so I think that loving action can, loving action really can be done anywhere with anyone, but it must be done out in the world, far enough away from our known proximity for us to genuinely touch one another. So it's not just like within our families or within our friend circles. It's a random act of kindness towards someone you don't know. It's volunteering in our neighborhood, but it can also mean acting worldwide. So when you're grieving, if you're, if you're able to just like step by step, put that stuck energy into a random act of kindness, volunteer, do something that moves that energy, moves that love. You'll realize that little by little, it doesn't have to be anything grandiose, but little by little, you'll start healing. And believe me, you can go beyond that acceptance stage, you can get to the healing stage. And not only you're healing yourself, you'll heal others as well. And it will be a win-win situation. Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. I think it's because grief a lot of the times can be life-changing, but it can also be a lifelong process for a lot of people. So they may have accepted that this person is no longer here in physical yes. form, Yes, but they can still grieve that person. Right. But perhaps it is not as strong as what it used to be maybe a year ago or something. But yeah, that whole process can be lifelong. Right. Yeah, um, it's true. So that process can be lifelong. That's true. But you know, so you can, you can grieve that person. So you feel their, their absence, you'll feel you'll, you, you'll remember the beautiful moments and all. And that's fine. That's completely fine. But mm. what is not fine is when you're confined in crippling grief where yes. you cannot get out of bed, where you're not able to enjoy life anymore, mm-hmm. when you're not able to, you know, get out of that cycle of of um, sadness that is never ending. So it's okay to remember the person. It's okay to have pictures around and talking to them. It's, it's fine. But remember that it's, what is not fine is to be stuck and not being able to enjoy your life anymore. So it's important to be able to move that energy. And the only way to move that energy for me has been practicing loving action. And, you know, again, for some people, psychotherapy works really well. It doesn't work for me as well because I'm more of a, yeah. um, because of the work that I've been doing for years, I'm more of an active type of person where I need to work in society and so for me, it's been great. So if psychotherapy doesn't work for you, you could try this approach and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it works really well. And it doesn't have to be, again, anything grandiose. You can start exactly where you are. Start who, with who you are, where you are right now. Little pieces, little things that you can do every day that can bring joy to your life and to others. I really liked how you picked up on how psychotherapy does not work for everyone and that you you're not an anomaly if that doesn't work for you um that's something that I've experienced as well it just hasn't worked for me and I've realized that when I do engage with community better I see Mm -hmm. much better changes changes that can feel immediate so you feel that sense of wow I feel belonged here I feel the love But there are also long-term changes that are absolutely amazing. And I think just the model of psychotherapy often is very individualized and it's not applied to the wider sort of community. But when you are, when you are engaging in things like volunteering or even just writing a book, being on a podcast, your perspective is much bigger in that sense and you feel less alone. Yeah. Right. It's a collective process. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. It's a collective process. You feel like you're part of a community where people, where you're not, it's not just one-on-one with the psychotherapist. You're just part of a community and helping others and volunteering gives you that helper's high where it's, it makes you feel, you know, alive and, you know, helpful. And uh, it's, it's a win-win situation no matter what. And and again, I've been doing it for so many years that I know how it feels. It becomes almost 
it's a really good addiction. Let's put it that way. So <laughs> it's a it's a great way to feel connected, not just with the with yourself, but with the whole. Yes, Laura. Actually, the reason why I reached out to you, or one of the main reasons, was how both of us see a connect in the ways in which humans heal and process grief to that we can see in nature. So nature's ability to regenerate, which is a form of healing in itself, right? right? And I think for you, the olive tree has really been symbolic of that. So we'd love to yeah. love to know the story behind the olive tree as mm-hmm. well, but also just your thoughts on how experiencing nature's way of healing can really help us humans where nature is us and we are nature understand this process as completely normal as deep and not exactly beautiful but there is a very strong power that grief definitely holds for us in terms of just becoming a human that is or just becoming um, a being which is so much stronger than that who was going through that grief right right? it's it's, it's a form of I think rebirth for sure sure in a different way so yeah, yeah just We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so basically I um, I picked the title 21 Olive Trees because, um, well, first of all, my son was 21 when he passed away. And so I wanted to create something in his honor. And so why did I pick the olive tree? The olive tree for me, it's always been my favorite tree. It's a symbol for me of strength, of uh, regeneration of power. And mm-hmm. so it was my message, not just to myself, but also to others, that you are strong. You are an olive tree. You are able to regenerate yourself and transform and uh, withstand anything, just like the olive tree. So my idea was to ultimately to create a beautiful 21 olive tree garden of peace and love and regeneration where mothers can actually, grieving mothers can actually come and find, leave, where they can leave their grief and suffering behind, where, she, where they can feel safe and protected and where they can commune with each other in this beautiful garden of Mm. ethereal garden of of strong olive trees that is almost that is nurturing that hugs you that says to you you are fine you're safe and protected here so the idea is to was to create this therapeutic haven for grieving mothers okay um but not just with the garden of olive trees that hug you, you know, symbolically hug you. I also wanted to create a a sanctuary yes, with absolutely. it. So a healing sanctuary with an olive tree garden. Um, the sanctuary is particularly important to me because what I realized is that when we are grieving and suffering, as I said, it's really that energy of really strong and heavy energy of grief that is stuck inside of us. So I, what I wanted to do, my vision included a, a sanctuary where mothers 
can come and re-experience the simplicity of being a child again themselves. So I wanted to create something with so that would not be necessarily a center, not necessarily a retreat, but more like a sanctuary slash temple, because the love of a mother is one of the highest forms of love. And so it really needs to be protected. So my vision really included all sorts of activities that you don't find in a normal retreat. So it's not something that includes yoga or meditation or breathing, which are completely valid and wonderful. I practice all of them. But I wanted to create something else where a mother who is grieving can come and leave that grief and heaviness behind and where can she can re-experience the that yes. simplicity, that joy of being a, light, a, a child again herself. So with programs like dancing, um, you know, painting, uh, making pottery, like a communal way of re-experiencing that joy of being a child again, that helps you to shed your heaviness, where you can leave that heaviness behind. Because you know what? As adults, we we often forget that life can be simple. We all need to play. And so my programs are going to serve those mothers who are grieving, but you know, also anyone who is experiencing grief or going through a loss, this can be for you because it helps you to leave the heaviness behind. We all need to play. Leonardo da Vinci used to used to say, uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. But as adults, we often forget that things can be simple. And nature can teach you that. Na- nature can teach you that things can be simple. Things are just the way they are. Living the present, living the now. Be joyful with what nature gives you. And so that's why I... I wanted to have the olive tree garden as well connected to the sanctuary of simplicity. So I'm already in touch with an international association called Garden of Peace, which has agreed to plant the 21 olive trees in various locations. And so it actually was crazy because on on Christmas, it was Christmas Day, and I'm scrolling on Google and, and I was thinking about where am I going to create the sanctuary? And on Christmas, I'm scrolling on Google and I happen to find this website with by this organization that actually inaugurated a 21 olive tree garden of peace on the island of Crete. And so and that was in August. And what are the chances that they planted 21 olive trees out of all the numbers, you know, it could have been 35, it could have been 350. (laughs) These people planted 21 olive trees. So I know that the universe is collaborating here in a big way. I felt like, I felt that my son was sending me a Christmas gift on Christmas, you know, mom, look at what I'm sending you. And so I contacted them right away and they said, sure, let's work together. And so, yeah. So, um, uh, I'm in Europe right now. I flew in from California the other day, and I'm going to go to another inauguration of another Garden of Peace, which is going to be in uh, Spain. And most likely, we're going to create our first Gardens of Peace together um, in California and Costa Rica at the end of the year. 
Wow, that's so, so <laughs> beautiful. Amazing. Yeah, so it was just, yeah. wow, I was floored. It was, wow, I, I couldn't stop saying thank you to the universe because, yes. you know, when they say, you know, there are signs everywhere and we just don't notice them. Well, I could not not notice this one. This was so <laughs> evident. <laughs> Yes, oh, yeah. yes, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah I totally, I totally believe in the universe guiding us to yes. wherever we need to get to. But this, this I haven't heard of right? before, and it's amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy for you, yeah. genuinely. Yes. Thank wow. you. Yeah, and I believe that this project has the potential to expand globally yeah. because they really want to expand globally and uh, and bring healing to communities everywhere um so again even if the sanctuary is inspired for grieving mothers anyone who's going through loss this can be for you um it's really it's by creating a place or a space where mothers can heal laugh and feel nurtured i really hope to inspire and encourage those who are going through a difficult time and you know help them maintain their childlike spirit um and love, which ultimately will lead, you know, aid in their healing process. Yes, absolutely. And I love how the activities that you are thinking about putting in place are really just helping mothers and those who are grieving get on the body level. That is something that we just yeah, exactly. we just do not yeah. have space for, particularly in modern societies. Exactly. Because the more embodied our activities are, creativity are the more empowered we are as individuals and individuals within communities. And I think that's a really a disempowering tactic a lot of the systems that we live in use, right? That we do not need to think about the body. We just focus on the mind. um, Exactly. The logic of things rather than the creative side of things, you know, the things that focus on pleasure and happiness sure, and sure like, like creative yeah. dance you know for instance or mm-hmm. making pottery yeah. planting your own garden these are all powerful tools for you know processing and expressing emotions including grief which was really one of the most powerful so it, yeah. it really provides these are programs that can really provide a um i would say a physical outlet for feelings that can that can be very difficult to put into words. So allowing you to to connect as you, again, as you said, with your body and express yourself in a different way. Dance can also help release endorphins, which are natural feel good chemicals, yes. and that can help you know lift your mood and and reduce stress and anxiety. And you know, being part of a dance community, you know, whether in, in a class or, or or outside, outdoors, can also provide social support and a sense of connection, and which can be especially important when you're grieving. Yeah, so I'm a dancer myself. Oh, nice. I've been training in um, an Indian classical dance form called Kathak for the past okay. year. And the classes are held online. The area I'm living in right now, I can't really access them in person. But just being part of that small community, even yep. if it's online, is so liberating. And sometimes yes. in Christmas, we had a break obviously sure. from that. But yeah, it was it was quite disheartening to have that break, even though breaks are important. Yeah, I just I think dance itself is right. one of the most liberating 
forms of expression, creative expression of yourself. When we talk about the body, your entire body is moving to the rhythm of the music, the rhythm of the universe itself. It's a beautiful experience. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's beautiful, but even, you know, because by moving to music and, and, and allowing, allowing yourself to be fully present in the moment. Yes, you can, absolutely. You can, you can totally tap into your emotions in a, I would say, in a safe and supportive environment. And you begin to work through your grief in a, in, in a healthy way. Uh, but, you know, dancing can also bring a sense of joy and lightness and yes, back into your yeah. life, you know, helping you to feel more connected to yourself and, and to the world around you. But, you know, also activities like making pottery, you know, using your hands and, you know, and yes. stepping out of that mind and, you know, just being in your body. So that's that's really important for me to, you know, but, you know, everybody grieves in their own way. So there is no right way. To mm-hmm. deal with grief. Dancing may not be for everyone, and that's okay. But for those who find comfort in movement and expression, dance can be a valuable tool in the grieving process, as well as using your hands in various uh, activities. Yes. And it's amazing that you're providing all these different activities for mothers and those who are grieving to find where that safe space is for them within the activity. I think that's right. just so important. Right. Right. Yeah. It's right. amazing. And we would love to keep updated on when the sanctuaries will be open to the sure. public. Sure. Because I'm super yeah. excited for it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, me too. And again, um, this was a big sign from the universe for me. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. And uh, obviously, I would have never expected what happened. Uh, in 2019, but you know, you yeah. we are here to grow, and we are here to grow together, and so um, we are here to elevate ourselves, and so we can all heal together and have fun together. This is one of the main things. One of the main purposes of life is really to enjoy our lives. So um, I would say. Let's try our best here to express ourselves, have fun with each other, support each other, and to put love into action. Thank you so much, Laura, for this conversation, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. It was an honor. Yeah, like you said, that we're here to be growing together and healing together. This conversation in itself has provided that, that place for people who have who are in that cycle of grief who perhaps haven't experienced it just preparing yourself and to also just allow yourself to be kinder be kinder to yourself because grief is a very very difficult process for everyone but just to be kinder to yourself and like you said focusing on just expressing whatever you're feeling at the different stages of that grief is is vital and accessing spaces like the Healing Sanctuary and also just attending, for example, your TED Talk, which yeah. you have given, and there is another one coming up, but also being part of this podcast space and getting to connect to people like you. Um, it's just so important. So thank you so much for coming onto this space. Thank you so much for thank you so much for being such a wonderful host and for having me. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Mindful of Everything podcast. Subscribe to and rate the podcast on any podcast platform 
and connect to the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. To connect to Laura, visit lauraformendini.com and visit mindfuloveverything.com for all other episode resources.